Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Could there really be supernatural beings that feed on human blood? Welcome back to Paranormal Activity with me, Yvette Fielding. And this week, we are raising the stakes and looking into vampires. Vampires have been made famous worldwide. I mean, who doesn't recognise Dracula or the Lost Boys from books, movies, TV shows and Halloween costumes? They're infamous in the media. But hundreds of years ago, they were scapegoats for disease. In Sozopol, Bulgaria, a 700-year-old skeleton was found with its teeth removed and stabbed to the chest with an iron rod. Now, you'd think that this is the grave of a vampire, but scholars suspect that townspeople did this to ward off vampires, a very real fear for Europeans for hundreds of years. Scholars suggest that the modern vampire evolved from traditional beliefs held throughout Europe, which centred around the fear that the dead, once buried, could still harm the living. Now, these legends arose from a misunderstanding of how bodies decompose. As a corpse's skin shrinks, its teeth and fingernails can appear to have grown longer. As internal organs break down, the dark fluid can leak out of the nose and mouth. And those who are not aware of this process might interpret this fluid to be blood and suspect that the corpse has been drinking from the living. But this wasn't the only cause for suspicion. Before the time that people understood diseases, they imagined it was vampires that were behind the unseen illnesses that were ravaging their villages. Author Mark Collins Jenkins writes in his book, Vampire Forensics, the one constant in the evolution of vampire legend has been its close association with disease. Trying to kill vampires was a way for people to feel as if they had some sort of control over disease. In 2006, archaeologists unearthed a 16th century skull in Venice, Italy, that had been buried among plague victims with a brick in its mouth. The brick was likely a burial tactic to prevent striga, Italian vampires or witches, from leaving the grave to eat people. And more on this a little bit later when I tell you about the time Paul and I actually came face to face with this exact burial ground. Not all vampires were thought to be physically um, left in their grave. In northern Germany, the Nachsehira or 
after devourers stayed in the ground chewing on their burial shrouds. Again, this belief likely has to do with purge fluid, which could cause the shroud to sag or tear, creating the illusion that a corpse had been chewing it. The traits of modern-day vampires are pretty well established. They have fangs, drink human blood, and can't see themselves in mirrors. They can be warded off with garlic or killed with a stake through the heart. Some, like Dracula, are aristocrats who live in castles. Vampire panics died down in the 20th century as these fictional monsters replaced folk beliefs and as medical knowledge improved. However, there was a strange resurgence in the late 1960s. Yes, quite modern really, isn't it? When a gentleman called Sean Manchester, the president of the British Occult Society, said that there was a vampire that was causing people to see strange things in London's Highgate Cemetery. Newspapers had already covered reports of a tall figure with burning eyes and other spectral sights floating in the cemetery, and journalists quickly picked up Manchester's theory that these sightings were the work of an Eastern European vampire. Newspapers even embellished his claims of it, calling the figure a king vampire, or writing that the vampire had practiced black magic in Romania before travelling to London in his coffin. In 1970, Manchester told a TV news team that he planned to exorcise the vampire on Friday the 13th. That night, hundreds of young people turned up at Highgate Cemetery to see him perform an exorcism, which he ended up not doing. In the history of vampire legends, the Highgate incident is a modern phenomenon. It has less to do with the desire to control a community's health and a lot more in common with modern scares like the creepy clown sightings that went viral. Even if people don't believe it, they're still drawn to the hype, aren't they? I mentioned earlier on about myself and Paul O'Grady when we visited Poveglia in Italy. And it was a recent podcast. We sort of concentrated on that story, you know, the, um, the, the hauntings on an island. And Paul and myself went off to Poveglia spent some time in Venice, beautiful, beautiful Venice, learnt a lot about the history and some of the, the more archaic uh, myths and legends to do with Venice and, of course, the legendary island of Paveglia. And if you recall, uh, uh, back uh, in during the plague times, uh, many bodies, thousands of bodies, were thrown in the water but actually taken to this island off Venice and their bodies, alive, riddled with the plague, men, women, children, were just dumped on the island. There was a hospital there, a building, and allegedly the doctor there um, was supposed to, and his staff, look after these plague victims victims and hopefully make them well or at least ease their suffering well according to legend this doctor was a little bit um how can we say it wasn't very patient um with the patients and legend had it that he was a little bit um a little bit cruel shall we say well whilst paul and i were there we decided in our wisdom that perhaps whilst we um were doing a ghostly investigation of the hospital that would actually go to the burial site of where this alleged vampire was buried. Anyway, 
There it was, a fresh grave that had been dug, and there below we could see the outline of human remains. And what was really weird, I remember looking down and trying to find this alleged brick that was placed or stone placed in the jaws of a skeleton. But I remember we couldn't really see anything, but we knew that there were human remains. And according to our guides, uh, Italian-speaking guides, uh, locals, they said, no, 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 this is the actual um, uh, burial site of the alleged vampire. So we decided to take, <laughs> I mentioned this in our other podcast, is uh, we, we decided that we were going to take a, a doctor with us. <clears throat> and he drew our own blood out of our arms. And we then put our own blood in vials. And then saying an old prayer or blessing, we uh, an, an incantation, Paul and myself dripped our own blood on top of the alleged uh, vampire's grave. And then we asked for things to happen. Now, whilst we stood at the grave, the only thing I remember being bitten by were mosquitoes. We were bitten. I'm not joking. It looked like we'd had the plague ourselves. Everything puffed up. Our eyes puffed up. Everything. It was awful. The next day, we looked like we'd been brutalized. But anyway, we did this sort of ceremony. And then, of course, we went inside to investigate the hospital. Now, whether the spirit of whatever was in that grave had followed us into the hospital, I do not know. But I know that hospital was incredibly active and we did get an awful lot of poltergeist activity. But we didn't get bitten and we didn't see the image of um, that sort of uh, classic um, uh, vampire standing in the corner with a cloak or anything like that. It was very intriguing, uh, very, very interesting. And looking back on it now, and we both talked about this, myself and Paul, is that there probably was never a vampire in that grave. I think it was, as I've just mentioned, the locals absolutely terrified that something was going to rise out of the grave um, in a spirit form and attack the locals, bite them and take their soul. Um, and I, I just think it was a poor person whose jaw in its last gasping breaths had relaxed to such a state that it was completely open and that that's what they thought it was. So there's the legend. We actually went there. We saw for ourselves, but nothing happened. Paul, though, I remember this. Whilst we were walking around in the grounds, Paul looked like, well, all the colour went out of him, drained, apart from the bites all over his face, drained from blood from his face. and It wasn't a vampire. Uh, and he said, oh, my God, I've just seen a weird animal. And I said, what do you mean? And he said, it was enormous. He said, it wasn't like a rabbit. It wasn't like a rat. It was it was bigger than a rabbit, bigger than a rat. And it, it, it didn't look right. It looked like it had more, it looked like it had three ears or an extra eye. It was like a mutant animal. Well, of course, we all started laughing because you know what Paul O'Grady's sense of humour was like. But it did make us think and we thought, perhaps, you know, with all these uh, corpses of the plague victims being in the ground um, all around us, and don't forget, there weren't just a few, there were thousands of us, maybe the local wildlife had, had eaten some of the flesh or eaten some or drank some of the I don't know, some of the blood or something and had turned them into sort of these feral, unnatural creatures. Um, but he was scared to death, Paul, because he couldn't figure out what it was that he'd just seen. Um, 
And then, of course, we move from Venice. We move away from Venice, and I'm going to take you to Romania. And uh, we actually had the pleasure of traveling to Transylvania and investigating Vlad the Impaler's castle. Now, those of you will know that, of course, that wasn't his real name. He was called Vlad Tepes, and he was the ruler of, and I could never say this word, Wallachia. And I probably said that incorrectly, so please forgive me. Now, Uh, Vlad, he was obviously was more commonly known uh, as Dracula, and of course Bram Stoker based um, her character on his character. Um, and Vlad the Impaler, or Vlad Tepes, became so well known for his awful um, way of treating the local people and his soldiers. I mean, he would think nothing of impaling um, his soldiers that didn't do their, as they were told on wooden stakes right through. So right from their bottom end, as it were, right up through their mouths. And he would um, have them all on show outside his castle to show the locals that if you don't do as you're told, this is what's going to happen to you. But I also remember watching a documentary on him and reading about him And how as a young man, he would torture small animals by impaling them on small pieces of wood like toothpicks or something. His love for death and blood soon consumed him. And of course, the locals then knew him as Vlad the Impaler. So we then went to Corvin Castle, which is a place where he lived as a child. So If his spirit was going to be anywhere, it's more likely to be where he grew up, perhaps where he uh, was with his family. And so we did this amazing investigation. Now, it was a live show. And as you know, doing a live show involves an awful lot of people, a lot of vehicles, um, a lot of technicians. We had riggers. We had so many people that came on board and traveled with us to Transylvania. Now, whilst we were there, um, we were told... Um, that there was this um, uh, well. I mean, we also did a recorded show as well. So my memory all blurs into one. So you must forgive me. But whilst we were there, there was a well and it was, oh God, a few hundred feet drop. It was a long drop. And I was told, right, Yvette, you're going to sit on this seat and we're going to drop you down this narrow, dark well. And I was like, Right. Okay. That's fine. I'll do this. This is what I'm here for. So allegedly there were human remains thrown down this well. And I thought, okay, well, if there's going to be a haunting, if, if anybody wants to come through whilst I'm at the bottom of this well, uh, hopefully they'll, they'll make themselves known. I was absolutely terrified. I sat on this wooden seat and there was a big winch above me and it was dark and I had one torch with me and I, I thought it's all been charged up and I had a spare torch in my pocket and it was freezing cold. I mean, I remember having, um, a waistcoat on. And this was all mod cons then. They weren't sort of uh, common things, The what I'm about to tell you. It was a waistcoat that I put under my coat and it was attached to some batteries in my pocket. So it was like wearing a radiator. So I was nice and warm, but my God, it was like minus, oh, I can't remember, minus 14 or something outside. It was freezing. Anyway, there I was being dropped slowly down this well. And I looked up and I could see the, the sort of torchlight and um, uh, sort of disappearing slowly. And the circle of light got dimmer and dimmer and dimmer and smaller and smaller. And I all of a sudden felt completely and utterly on my own. And I was scared to death and I was physically shaking because I didn't know how far this, this seat was going to drop me. 
Anyway, I got to the bottom and I yanked on the seat to let them know that I'd reached the bottom and I got off the seat and the seat was then pulled up. My last sort of communication with the outside world I could see disappearing above me and I felt under my feet the crunching of something. Was it stones? What was it? I put my torch down to the bottom and there, yes, human remains. There were bones, human bones, a leg bone, a tibia, a fibia. It was just horrific. And I remember standing there feeling awful that I was standing on these human bones because I didn't want to move. I didn't want to hurt these bones out of respect for the person who was down there or mixture of people. How many humans had been thrown down here? I don't know. I remember them being Um, calling out, is there anybody here? Please, if you're here, please come and talk to me. And then in the silence, I heard tap, 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 knock, knock, knock. Oh God, something was there with me. I began to shake even more. I was really frightened. I didn't like it. I suddenly felt very, very claustrophobic and the atmosphere changed. I was bone cold now. The radiator waistcoat didn't help me at all. The temperature had changed. It was cold outside, as I say, but it suddenly dropped inside this well. And I remember calling out saying, I don't want to be on my own anymore. Somebody come down with me and get me out. Anyway, I heard in the distance the creaking of the seat. Somebody had got into it and was being lowered down. And there, my hero, I could see his feet dangling as they came down towards me. And my husband, Carl, joined me at the bottom of this well. It was a very tight squeeze, so it was a good job we were married. And let me tell you, we got the most amazing knocking. Now, remember this knocking is coming through stone brick walls that were hundreds of years old in a circle in this well and the knocking was coming through but I remember being very frustrated because it didn't make sense we were asking all sorts of questions and yet it wasn't making sense to us at all as far as my memory serves me Um, so that was it Uh, and it it was incredible I, I think I remember something being thrown or dropped on us and there was nobody near the opening of the well at all and suddenly feeling very scared and so Each of us took our turn to get up and be hoisted out of that well. It was an amazing experience and one I've never, ever forgotten to be in Transylvania and to be dropped down a well where human remains are. There's not many people can say that they've done that. Another thing that was very creepy about being in in Transylvania was where our hotel was. You would go to sleep and all you would hear was these barking dogs, crazy barking dogs all the time and in fact kept you awake all night. The howling and I remember when we were there there was a full moon oh and the howling went on so of course you're really in that moment aren't you? You're thinking of Vlad the Impaler, I'm going to investigate his castle I'm there and I'm hearing howling dogs in the middle of the night it was incredibly creepy and whenever we went out uh, of the hotel and we had to get to the castle we would get in a car and we would drive and we were being chased by wild packs of dogs it was incredible and then because we're very very kind people we decided to play a prank on one of the riggers I remember his name was Wigan because he came from Wigan and he was on the 
sort of running board of this four by four. He was the last to get on in the back of the truck. And we were going, hurry up, Wigan, get in, get in. And he was standing on the running board and we were driving along uh, and he was holding on for dear life. And his backside was being yacked at by a load of crazed wild dogs. As we were going through these amazing woods in Transylvania, obviously we dragged him in, but we couldn't stop laughing at his face. Aren't we mean? Anyway, so we get to the castle and the investigation begins. And it was really quite incredible. Now, we had to have first aiders, paramedics, uh, buyers, because of course there's no hospitals near where we were. You've got to imagine this place is in the middle of nowhere, in the middle of a forest of woods. It was an incredible experience. So apparently, according to legend, in the cellar of this particular castle, there is a hole another well. And this, according to the locals, is the mouth of hell. And nobody goes near this castle. The locals, oh, absolutely not. They don't go near it. They don't want to go near it. It's an evil, evil place. Um, And so we, in our wisdom, decided, well, let's do a Ouija board live on air over the mouth of hell. Now, I know, I think I might have told you this before. So I actually can't remember without watching this live show what actually happened whilst we were doing a Ouija board. But I do know um, when we came home, all sorts of hell kicked off, which I'll tell you about in a minute. But the weird thing was, is the paramedics um, were told to leave. We don't need you anymore. You can go. The paramedics left whilst we were doing this Ouija board session, got in their van and left. And they were told that they were told to leave by a rigger um, who we didn't know. They thought it was a rigger in a period costume. They thought somebody had dressed up and was telling her, telling them to leave. You don't need to um, to be on site anymore. It's okay. You can go. Now, first of all, we don't have anybody dressed up in period costume, and certainly none of the riggers or researchers were doing that. They were too busy doing their jobs. That was uh, really interesting to us. And it was only the production manager who phoned the paramedics and said, "Where the hell are you? You need to be on site. We've been told to leave. Somebody in period costume told us to go." Obviously, they were called back, very confused. So good job they were called back because at the end of the show, another rigger, uh, a cable basher, said he was pushed by somebody he also thought was in period costume down a hole outside the castle. Now, he broke his he broke his leg, uh, and obviously was was sent home as quickly as possible uh, after going to the seen by the paramedics and and sent to hospital in Romania, and then he was uh, flown home. But we all got together, the production team, and said, "Who is this mysterious person that told the paramedics to leave and then pushed the rigger down the hole, causing him to break his leg?" We never found out who that person was. And to to this day, it's still a complete mystery. So, oh, by the way, if you hear any strange noises, it's just Watson, he's snoring, bless him. So anyway, we come home from Romania and um, all hell breaks loose. 
um, the makeup lady, her father, um, who uh, loved to go to his pub at the top of a hill from his house. He was only young. And he, he said, I'm going to go and get my uh, pint of Guinness. Uh, he's, and he starts walking up the hill and he tells a neighbour, one of these days, this hill's going to be the death of me. He gets to the pub at the top of the hill, takes a sip of Guinness and falls down dead and has a, a heart attack, kills him outright. I nearly get killed uh, while I'm riding a horse. This is within the week of getting home. I'm riding my horse. All of a sudden, I'm riding on the road. It's as if somebody's in, stood in front of this very well-behaved horse and is waving or deliberately scared it. Well, it reared up. And, and for a horse to rear up, it, it's, not, it's not a common thing that they do. So it reared up, but it reared up and fell backwards. And I had to pull myself. I mean, thank God I managed to pull my feet out the stirrups before it landed on its back. Um, it got up and it was absolutely fine, but it was a terrifying experience. Other people lost family pets suddenly and tragically as well. Businesses went bust and all happened within a week of us getting home. I can't tell you how quickly we went to the church and we were blessed. And I remember standing there in front of the font and the lovely vicar did the sign of the cross and the holy water um, on the middle of my forehead. And I was just had tears flooding from my face. I knew something had come home with us. We were cursed. Something had come home from, with us from that castle, either from the well or doing the Ouija board over the mouth of hell. Whatever it was, <clears throat> I will never advise anybody to go and do that at that castle. It was absolutely fascinating, but terrifying at the same time. Was Vlad the Impaler, the vampire, was his spirit really with us? And had he affected us all? The ultimate podcast for Married at First Sight fans is here. This is Recapped at First Sight. The new podcast keeping you up to date on all the love, fallouts, drama and secrets as the Married at First Sight UK bride and grooms try to make happy couples. And we're your happy couple right here, in a professional sense, of course. Join me, Kat Shube. And me, former Maths UK groom Bob Voisey, every morning after you've watched the latest episode on TV. Plus, we'll have some special guests along the way enjoying our very own wedding breakfast. You bit the caterers, right? Uh, about that. Recapped at first sight. Find us wherever you get your podcasts. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. 
For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Now, this week's story comes from Matty, who got in touch all the way from Perth, who shares a story uh, that his father recently told him. Hi there, Yvette and the team at Paranormal Activity Podcast. It's so good to be able to send you guys a voice note. I hope that it um, features. My name is Matt. I live in Perth, Western Australia. Um, My story um, is based in the town where I grew up, which is Stocksbridge, Um, which is just outside Sheffield in the UK. Um, It was made semi-famous by um, the construction of a bypass that connected the A616 um, up to the the Woodhead Pass, um, you know, that connects up to Manchester. So um, it was to take away all the heavy traffic that was coming down the motorway and stopping it from going through the the town centre of Stocksbridge and just divert it around the town. Anyway, while they were creating this bypass, while they were building it, um, the construction staff and the security staff that were were, um, patrolling the um, construction site started to report strange sightings and events. Um, Most namely, there was a um, hooded figure um, that people have described as a monk that they saw um, on the bridge that goes over the bypass. It was featured on a episode of Strange But True, which was hosted by Michael Aspel in the early 90s, early to mid 90s, I think. Now this, we watched, I watched as a child and absolutely terrified me, particularly that from my bedroom window, I could actually see the bridge, I could see the bypass, I'd heard all the stories. It was terrifying. I could not sleep for weeks after watching that. Um, it's on a VCR tape in our house. We brought it to Australia with us. And it's just one of those things that whenever I see it in the, as I'm going through the collection, it just sends shivers down my spine because the way that they dramatized this particular, um, sightings and events just really was so scary. Um, there was also a sighting of a group of children in period dress, sort of like coal miner era. Hard to pinpoint late 1800s, early 1900s dress, and they were dancing around one of the electricity pylons. And the person could hear the song, the people who witnessed it, sorry, could hear the song Ring a Ring a Roses being sung as they went around the, the um, pylon, which is just terrifying. If I saw it, I would absolutely um, S myself, <laughs> you know, but my story really sort of was inspired by my dad because he told me that he had seen 
the ghost of this hooded figure um, before any of this even became known, before the bypass was created. You know, my dad's, you know, 70 odd years old. This was when he was a young man because he used to live in a small rural community that was just up the valley from where the bypass is now. It's called High Green. Very small community. You knew everybody that lived there. If anybody that you didn't know was hanging around, you would literally, you, you would take note and you would be curious, suspicious. Now, my dad is a very broad Yorkshireman. He really doesn't speak a lot. So when he does, he means what he says. Um, so I believe him. Like, there's no way that I would not believe this story. I don't think he's trying to be um, overdramatic or trying to get a rise out of us because that's just not him. So, you know, his story goes that when he was walking down one of the rural lanes um, through the town of High Green, just on the outskirts, um, nobody around. All it was was farmer's fields, the stack stone walls that divide the farmer's fields, and... Um, I think one tree, he said. <laughs> and, um, you know, he was walking along and he caught sight of this gentleman walking towards him. He was a, um, you know, quite a tall gentleman in a brown hooded coat. He had his head down, could not see his face. Dad didn't get a good feeling when he saw this man. So he looked at him and he thought, oh, I don't know him. I don't know him. And, and just the, the general look of him gave him the creeps. Um, and as this man walked past him, my dad said, hello, how do, you know, as Yorkshiremen do, you know, you do, that's what you say, you know, in small communities, you would greet everybody that you see. This man didn't respond. Um, and dad said he got such a cold, empty feeling as this man walked past, he sort of turned around and said, hello, you know, I said hello to you, you know, are you all right, are you lost? And this man had vanished, completely vanished into thin air. He checked everywhere. He checked behind the stack stone walls. He checked around this tree. He could not see him. There was nowhere for this gentleman to have gone, um, to have disappeared like that. Like anywhere that he would have gone, he would have still been within my father's eyeline. So, you know, that's his story. And he says he just got this really horrible, empty feeling from this gentleman. And, um, you know, there are stories on that strange but true documentary, um, that, you know, say that, that people have seen this this monk running alongside their car as they're driving on the new bypass and sort of like rising up and disappearing into their car can you imagine can you imagine if you were driving at top you know at a high speed down a bypass and all of a sudden this ghostly figure just sort of hops into your car it's like uh yeah <laughs> i'd give up driving if you can if i can find that documentary i will link it to you so you can watch it but if not try and find it yourselves because it really is a good watch absolutely terrifying event you know maybe watch it with all the lights on in a house full of people um because it's terrifying um but yes thank you for the podcast i love it i love anything i love most haunted love it all thank you so much for bringing this to us so much appreciated love you bye Hi, Matt. Well, thank you so much for sharing your experience with me. I know the Woodhead Pass and I've travelled along this road many, many, many times. Um, now, next time that I travel that road, I'm going to look out for a cloaked ghost on Woodhead Pass. Absolutely, definitely. And isn't it strange that a lot of people report when they speak to a ghost like your dad did, they sometimes don't answer. So is this a memory that we're encountering? Like when I called out to what I thought was Stuart. Do you remember us telling you about that? But was in fact, as we later discovered, it was an apparition from Stone Tape Theory. 
Well, this, you'll recall, happened at Wentworth Woodhouse, and the footage of that is still on YouTube, so go and have a look. Now, I remember Matty Strange But True, and I, too, absolutely loved it. But like you, Matt, I always went to bed shivering in fear under the sheets. Now, one particular story struck with me, and it was a report from a gentleman who was out walking his dog. As I say, this is from Strange But True. And he was walking his dog in the area of Woodhead Pass. And I think, oh, I hope I'm not wrong. If I am, I do apologise. It was called Langdondale. Now, he reports hearing the sound of an old style aeroplane and he looked up and saw, and I think it was a bomber plane, but it could have been a Spitfire. Again, I can't remember 100%, but this plane dated back to World War II. Then he heard and was totally startled as he heard the most almightiest crash over the top of the hill. Well, he rushed over uh, to discover absolutely nothing. There was no crash site. There was no smoke. There was nothing. He had witnessed a ghostly plane crash um, that is years to follow. Uh, so many other local residents also witnessed. So was this stone tape theory? Were, were the locals seeing this World War II Spitfire or bomber coming overhead, hearing the crash? Uh, and I think they actually discovered that there was a plane that did crash during World War II in that area. So are we just seeing the stone tape theory, the memory, the haunting being played out again and again in that area? And the same thing with um, seeing that cloaked ghost uh, at Woodhead Pass. Is it another memory haunting? The children that you're seeing dancing around at the pylon, could it have been a maypole uh, back in the day? Who knows? But very, very exciting and very intriguing. Thank you so much, Matty, for sending that in. I really appreciate it. Please keep them coming. Get in touch yourselves with any paranormal stories that you've had. And if you have had a paranormal or unexplained experience, please let us know. Thank you for listening to Paranormal Activity with me, Yvette Fielding. And a huge thanks to all our lovely listeners for sharing their visitation stories with us. You can get in touch and share your own stories at contact at paranormalpod.co.uk or we are on WhatsApp and the phone number is 75 And we are on Instagram and the handle is at Paranormal Activity Pod. Stay up to date with the newest episodes by giving us a follow and we'll be back again same time next week. But if you can't wait until then, visit www.paranormalpod.co.uk where you can find options to get episodes a day early. Have a great week, my lovely friends, and stay safe. And remember, things aren't always as they seem. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. 
Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 